0: Welcome to Haunted History Chronicles, the podcast where we unravel the mysteries of the past, one ghostly tale at a time. I'm your host Michelle, and I'm thrilled to be your guide on this eerie journey through the pages of history. Picture this, a realm where the supernatural intertwines with the annals of time, where the echoes of the past reverberate through haunted corridors and forgotten landscapes that's the realm we invite you to explore with us. Each episode will unearth stories, long buried secrets, dark folklore, tales of the macabre and discuss parapsychology topics. From ancient legends to more recent enigmas, we're delving deep into locations and accounts all around the globe with guests joining me along the way. But this podcast is also about building a community of curious minds like you Join the podcast on social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to share your own ghostly encounters, theories and historical curiosities. Feel free to share with friends and family. The links are conveniently placed in the description for easy access. So whether you're a history buff with a taste for the supernatural or a paranormal enthusiast with a thirst for knowledge, Haunted History Chronicles is your passport to the other side. Get ready for a ride through the corridors of time, where history and the supernatural converge, because every ghost has a story, and every story has a history. And now, let's introduce today's podcast, or guest. Today we have a guest, who brings an unparalleled prowess and expertise in the paranormal. Prepare yourselves, as we're joined by none other than Evelyn Hollow a double Academy Award-winning Scottish writer and paranormal psychologist. Evelyn has left her mark in the haunted realm, contributing numerous articles to Haunted magazine. As a former psychology lecturer with a Master of Research degree in paranormal psychology, she has become a sought-after consultant for various TV shows and podcasts. You might have witnessed her insights on the smash hit BBC show like The Battersea Poltergeist, The Witch Farm and uncanny. Evelyn's paranormal expertise also graces the screen with Warner Brothers TV shows Spooked Scotland and Spooked Island, both streaming on Discovery Channel Plus. Join us as Evelyn takes us on a journey through the shadows, sharing her wealth of knowledge on paranormal history and the quantum physics of anomalous phenomena. Brace yourselves for an episode that transcends the boundaries between the known and the mysterious. And let's say hello to our guest, Evelyn Hollow. Hi, Evelyn. Thank you so much for joining me this evening.
1: Hello, Michelle. No, uh, no worries at all. Thank you for having me.
0: Do you want to start by just kind of maybe giving some of your background and, and the reasons why you got into the field of paranormal psychology?
1: Uh, Yep, so I am a paranormal psychologist and writer. I originally started off doing a bachelor's degree in psychology, and I mostly specialised in forensic psychology, and I also had a keen interest in the interactions between human consciousness and quantum physics. I then, in my fourth year of my bachelor's, uh, found out that parapsychology was a thing, and decided to swap speciality and I was lucky to be able to do that um, I had a professor at the university who uh, had a had a PhD in parapsychology so he was able to supervise me and then I went on to do my master's of research also specializing in parapsychology and then after that I um I was a lecturer for for two maybe three years um I also did guest lectures elsewhere um, I'm still writing the entire time, not just in parapsychology, but also other areas of nonfiction. I was trained as a travel writer by Lonely Planet originally. I also write fiction, nonfiction, things like that. And I mostly sort of specialised in uh, kind of history of the paranormal, so things like. Um, folklore, paranormal history, cursed and enchanted objects, haunted houses, and sort of looking at the, not just the sort of anthropology, sociology and history, but also the psychology and also hard science of those things. Also worked on a lot of poltergeist cases, and then um, later on I was contacted by Danny Robbins um, to do a show he was creating called The Battersea Poltergeist. So I did that um, a good couple of years ago now, and that went unexpectedly viral, and after that we did The Witch Farm and Uncanny. Um, I think all three shows have got a combined total of like more than 50 million worldwide listens or something which is insanity Um, and yeah and things like that. So I'm just uh, working constantly as a a parapsychologist. I mostly do, I've done a bunch of television shows and stuff as well so it's sort of TV and radio. I still guest lecture occasionally um, still writing and um, my first debut uh, full book comes out this year actually in September um, which is an atlas of paranormal places so yeah that's about where I am at the moment.
0: I'm honestly surprised you have time to breathe <laughs> Because your, don't. <laughs> your schedule must just be insane. I mean, you mentioned just how busy you are. And I, I can believe it. I mean, the amount of things that you are involved in and, you know, following you on social media, you are forever going from one place to another to attend something. And it, I mean, like I said, you just, you must be incredibly busy. It must keep you very much on your
1: toes. It does. I mean, it's kind of hilarious. I've um, i told this a couple of times, but I had a a professor who was who was also, I think, I think he was head of the ethics committee as well. And when I was swapping from forensic psychology to parapsychology, he said that it was career suicide, um, which is hilarious because I've just never been busier. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to even fathom. Um, I mean, I think people always think, you know, working in things like sort of paranormal and occult and folklore and things like that would be um, not that busy a job, but it is alarmingly busy. Um, I think, uh, I think uh, I've been to check, but I think I've done five TV shows, three big uh, radio shows Um I also just presented a five-hour special on The Wicker Man for BBC Radio 4 Extra which aired in December and um, we just did a two-month long tour of Uncanny Live so we did 42 dates, two months straight of touring um, and then we are actually going back on tour in a couple of months. Um, mostly this month I've, I've spent doing the copy edit on my book and um, pitching new books to different publisher and uh, recording cr- the Christmas specials and stuff as soon as I came back from tourists so we were on various shows and and whatnot and interviews and things like that but yeah it, um it's incredible how much it, it never it never stops um I really need to get some sort of like actual I don't have this ass- like Danny has an assistant I don't have an assistant and I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm considering <laughs> maybe I should get one or several <laughs> yeah several um, yeah.
0: several diaries and several people to help you manage all of that because that's just yeah it sounds impossible to me I don't know how you do it I really don't
1: yeah there's that I was gonna say coffee but I don't even drink that much coffee anymore. Anyway, I'm I'm diagnosed with chronic chronic astritis a couple of years ago and now I'm doomed to only be able to have like one cup of coffee a day maximum so um and I have chronic insomnia as well so I only sleep an on average of about five hours a night which is how I get so much done in a day but it's also I am perpetually shattered.
0: And you mentioned kind of in that very extensive kind of list of all the things that have been keeping you busy obviously a number of different shows that you've been involved in and obviously some of the things that you were interested in as part of your research. And I imagine being from Scotland growing up in that area, just the incredible mythology and mysticism and history that the location has must have had an impact on you. And I mean, I mean, it's so magical. I think it's it's unlike so many places around the world, it just seems to have something very unique that draws people in, in terms of the stories that it has to yield. And and I think that came through in one of your shows, which was Spooked Scotland. And obviously then you've been on uh, Spooked Ireland, which I think has a similar type of feel and and kind of history and draw to it that Scotland seems
1: to have. Absolutely. Um, You know, Scotland is an incredibly ancient place, uh, a, a very dense and rich history of... Mythology and folklore, um, you know lots of violent history as well, which can give rise to sort of you know supernaturality and the paranormal um incredibly complex and diverse place. Uh, the history is is just remarkable. and you're right, it's very similar to Ireland, um both of us being you know two of the uh, two of the the two Celtic nations or two of the Celtic nations. Um, and uh, our, our, we'll even our language sort of overlap, so Scottish, Gaelic and um, Irish, uh, as we would call it Irish, Irish Gaelic, and it's just Irish when you're over there, um, is, is very, very similar. Um, and yeah, our, our mythology and kind of belief systems tend to overlap. Um, I'm Scottish Celtic Pagan, but if you speak to an Irish Celtic Pagan that's, you know, our belief systems are very similar. There's just a couple of you know sort of key names and traditions and things that are, are you know kind of variations on a theme. And um, yeah, that certainly had a big influence on me growing up. And um, my mother's a keen Arthurian scholar and very interested in the history of King Arthur and things like that. And I grew up partly between uh, mid-Calder and Livingston where I'm originally from and also a caravan park in the borders and both you know, the the sort of mid-belt if you like and the borders of Scotland have an incredibly dense history, um the highlands and, and islands especially, so and um, living is just outside of Edinburgh. Um, I lived in Edinburgh actually in the city pretty much my entire adult life, and that alone. I mean, we literally call Edinburgh the city of ghosts because per capita, she has the most number of ghost stories of any city in the world, and people travel from all over to come to Edinburgh, to come to the cemeteries and uh, haunted pubs. And there was a point in my life where I've worked lots of different jobs over the years. And you could go to any job interview of any place in Edinburgh and literally ask, what is your ghost? Um, Because there was that many ghost stories. Um, She is literally a city of the dead, uh, isn't quite literally as she is a city built upon hundreds, uh, I say hundreds, thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of um, dead bodies, plague pits, um, the vaults, um, the covenanters, um, basically concentration camp, um, all these sorts of places. She's at the point now where people literally hit potholes in Edinburgh, and the potholes here are shocking, um, but people hit potholes and like bits of skeleton come out. Um, there was a laddie, so speaking to a couple of months ago, <clears throat> there was a lady who was on a walking tour around some cemeteries here. She had a young lad with her, and um, he was sort of wandering off and you know, she was telling him not to touch stuff. And he came back and of course was like, oh look, I found a bone. And of course she's like, oh yeah, did you? Like, that's nice, thinking it's like a bit stick. No, no, it was an actual bone. Um, mm-hmm. It had rained really, really badly for about two weeks. And Greyfriars in particular, has got terrible sort of land slippage where when it's wet, the um the ground is sort of coming away the tombstones are all crooked they're kind of temporary looking like because the ground is swallowing graves and something had obviously shifted and something had come to the surface and part of a skeleton and the, the little boy had found it so i mean it's 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 that bad um but yeah there's a great place to live if you're a paranormal psychologist because you'll never be short of work
0: yeah i imagine it, keep, it helps keep you busy as well and being able to talk about it but Honestly, those shows were fantastic because I think not only did they help to really highlight the field that you're in, which is this scientific methodology, approaching something in a very investigative role, which is, I think, different to what people expect based on other shows maybe that they've seen, you know, a a kind of an event, if you like, um, where they've maybe been (laughs) ghost hunting. So you kind of get really immersed in what I think parapsychology is, and I think that's very refreshing for an audience to see that but I also think the shows shows really did help to capture that beauty that mystique that that kind of sense of connection with something much older I mean you mentioned how old these these lands are and and I think that also came through the shows really beautifully which I think was so important
1: yeah I think it's hard for some people to picture how old um Scotland is especially the Americans um, when they uh, when when they come here you know f- for America an old building is um anything in the last sort of 100, 100 years or so um, very old is anything you know the sort of Victorian era sort of 1800s when we say new in Edinburgh like we literally mean from the 1800s onwards that that is new. Mm. Um, and anything old. I mean, we, we can be talking about stuff, in 1600s, even 1500s. Um, geez, I mean, <clears throat> I think if I remember rightly, you know, Edinburgh University alone is in- incredibly old. Um, and some of, I mean, some of these universities in the UK as a whole are, are so old that the first classes were taught when the Aztec Empire was still living. Um, it's. I it, think it's hard for people to picture like the plumbing in my first flat is older than the declaration of independence and things like that Um so it's no surprise that you have such a, a high rise of you know paranormality and that can go from either way you can look at it from the perspective of well there's so many people so many dead here so many lives so much consciousness and um, all of that um, and, and a lot of violence and trauma as well Scotland has had a, a really horrendous um, past, both of infighting between sort of clans and wars and things but also you know horrendous um you know kind of colonization and and, and genocide and cultural erasure that's that's still an ongoing problem um, it's a very complex city but also you can look at it from the sort of oral storytelling perspective oral storytelling is a huge bit of, of all celtic cultures but in particular scotland and ireland and so, our stories are passed down that way. So, if you look at the kind of rise of you know, ghost stories, um, folklore, even creatures, cryptids, um, you know, witchcraft, things like that, it's incredibly dense here because it's a huge part of our culture, um, both from pagan times um, and you know, sort of Reformation era, and even enduring through you know, sort of um, the variations of, of Christian faith and Catholicism and things like that. Um, but Scotland in its heart is still very much rooted to the land and the seasons, even for people who are not pagan. Um, and therefore the aspect of making sense of, of the land is a huge aspect which gives rise to the sort of dense uh, folklore and traditions and things that we have here. You know, Not just our clothes and songs and stories, but also our entire culture, our language, everything right down to uh you know, from the way we dress to the way we talk to the way we make sense of things to the way we teach things to other people is all completely informed by that. It's a very um it's a very in it its heart it's it's still a very um traditionalist um folk country um and that rings true obviously in the more rural places but even still in the huge cities like Edinburgh, even past the kind of you know gentrification and Disneyfication uh this ongoing problem that we have with the city centre. Um, you can still, if you look in the right places, um, still find that very traditional start.
0: I just think there's so many layers to it. And, and one of the things that I just really appreciated was the fact that Scotland, I think, just had this spotlight put on it. And, and Ireland too, with the second the second series. And I don't think there's been many shows that have really focused on those in terms of the the paranormal. So it was so interesting to be able to really kind of be immersed in in some of what they have to offer via both of those seasons it was it was really incredible as i say for all of those different aspects that we've talked about the history the paranormal the folklore the all of it it just came through so so very well and so richly and for me personally as a viewer i i hope there's more of that coming down the future because they were really incredible Paranormal shows, I think, really, really very well informed and very well done.
1: I think um, the thing with a lot of these, I, I really watch um, paranormal shows, I kind of know of them. Um, they're not something I tend to sit and watch. And I think the reason I never did that was because the few glimpses of them that I always have seen have been in these sort of um, very American shows, whereas, you know, um, people uh, running around shouting, demon every sort of little bump and noise and things like that. So when I accepted to do the two scoop shows or haunted shows as they're known in America, and um, uh, you know, I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, I just, you know, I was glad that they were bringing me on a parapsychologist at least. Because um, a lot of these shows are, are kind of just presenters or sort of people interested in it or people that've been brought on to kind of helm it visually, and uh, and then you know, ghost hunters or things like that, um, which is fine. But I um, I was glad that they were really trying maybe to bring on a parapsychologist. So I'm not sure how much of you know I don't I spend a lot of time trying to rule things out scientifically, and then once we rule it out because in science you work uh, you work bottom to top. So in an inverted sort of triangle way. So the goal of science is not to prove things, it's to disprove things. So I would know, kind of try to go through and rule things out, disprove things, uh, and then so we could whittle it down to like what it is, just so that we're trying to get a, more, a most accurate picture of what we're experiencing and, you know, just sort of working with um, Ryan, who's a tech guy um you know sort of asking questions and making if we were trying to get you know proper data or feedback and things like that and um, i'm not actually sure how much of that ever transpired to screen um because I, i've not really seen the shows um i've watched i think i watched the first two episodes of spook scotland um and i haven't seen any of the rest just because i have had time i'm unfortunately not in the not always in the habit of being able to watch stuff back Um i was able to watch the uncanny tv shows back because we were on tour at the same time so it was important that i watched them back because people were going to be coming to shows shortly after and like you know asking questions about things like that but it is unfortunately kind of a, a hazard of the occupation that is if you do lots of projects especially television and things like that back to back you don't always get time to actually sit down like you you record dozens and dozens of hours of content um, and then an episode is sometimes 40 minutes sometimes an hour so trying to squeeze you know sometimes six sometimes like 20 hours of recording I mean when we did the pilot for Scotland I think that was like an 18 hour shoot or something Um, and only a small percentage of it can make it in the show so um, you know hopefully that kind of Transpires, and any time where I was, you know, trying to trying to include sort of scientific ver- verification, I would say maybe um, an investigation, just trying to make things a bit more and um, kind of rigorous and concise, and things. <clears throat> you know, hopefully that was in it, but I'm actually not sure because I've not to watch the show.
0: No, I think it did, and I think it comes through in all of the projects that you do. To be honest, that. That rigor, I think, is the perfect word to explain it. And and like I said at the start, I think it's refreshing for people to see that because I don't think they often have the chance to see somebody applying these scientific methodologies on the screen and kind of examine and be talked through what is happening and the thought behind something and other explanations. And I think it's important to show that aspect because part of the problem i think with the paranormal is that you know people have this perception that it is one thing and because of that it's not regarded as a science and Mm -hmm. and i think that's such a shame because it does mean then that it's it's kind of harder for people who have that role who really are working at this as a science um testing things out researching adding to this collection this body of work in terms of understanding it makes it harder and that doesn't happen i think in any other science but the paranormal kind of has that problem and i think part of it is the external influences that mean that there are a lot of misconceptions about it shall we say
1: yeah there's a huge amount of misconception uh, <coughs> of misconceptions and it's one of these things that even happens to me as a parapsychologist because people um See, the paranormal is sort of like folk tales, old wife tales, and and, you know, things to scare children. And then you've also got this incredible popularity of kind of ghost hunters, stuff on YouTube, TikTok, um, the American shows on that stream on uh, Discovery Plus in the States, and things like this. And there's these huge misconceptions. Um, and then I come in and I'm an actual qualified scientist, and um, you know, people don't think it's a thing and of course even within the sciences themselves and I don't think they realise they you drive know, two degrees in it and um, I went to Queen Margaret University but Edinburgh Uni itself, one of the oldest and most respected universities in the world, has an entire building for it, the KPU, the Cost of Parapsychology um, unit and uh, which I believe is still helmed by Caroline Watt. And, it's, uh, you know, it has this entire building dedicated for the kind of study of anomalous phenomena. And not everything in the paranormal is even like, you know, sort of creatures and cryptids and poltergeists and ghosts and stuff. It can even be things like, um, you know, precognition. It could be um, out of body experiences and coma patients and things like that. There's this incredibly diverse sort of neuropsychological aspect of it there's also sociological and anthropological aspects of it as well if you look at things like what is the psychology of cult members like how do people get sucked into joining a cult and what happens to you know a mother that may be struggling with severe postpartum depression and who believes her her child is a demon and things like that Uh, you know how, how can we work with psychiatrists to have informed and up-to-date, you know, diagnostic statistical manuals and psychometrics and things like that to help these people. You know, what is the actual psychology of paranormal belief? And the thing is, it's an incredible thing that gets written off so often, which I always am stunned by, because in my opinion, it's the central tenet of the human existence. Every single culture, everywhere in the entire world, throughout all of history, right back to the dawn of the first uh, proximate sapiens, has had some sort of belief, whether there was, uh, you know, belief in gods and deities, or belief in unseen forces, or belief in life after death, or even just like superstition and ritual and practice and things like that. It exists throughout every single aspect and I think it is the single thing that informs most of all things um, how, how a person behaves, um, so how their community behaves, how their, it shapes their language, it shapes their culture, it shapes their, their fashion, their architecture, all of it. Um, and yet it's the absolute first thing to get written off. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's just stunning the level of ignorance that um, we're still facing in this department.
0: Hey there. Before we dive back into the podcast episode... I have a quick message for all you devoted listeners. If you've been enjoying the eerie stories and historical mysteries shared on any of the podcast episodes over the last few years, here's your chance to become an even bigger part of the ghostly community. You can now support the show by buying the podcast A Virtual Coffee. That's right. Just head over to kofi.com forward slash haunted history chronicles and treat the podcast to a caffeine boost. Every little bit goes a long way in helping us uncover more haunted histories and share them with you. But wait, there's more. For those who want to dive deeper into the world of the paranormal, consider joining our Patreon family. Our Patreon page is a treasure trove of exclusive content, featuring hundreds of podcasts, both short and long articles, interviews, and other top-secret materials you won't find anywhere else. And here's the exciting news. For February, all Patreon members, across all tiers, will receive bonus daily podcasts. It's like a paranormal advent calendar for the entire month. Now is the perfect time to join, support the show, and unlock a growing library of chilling encounters, reports, and in-depth research Simply visit patreon.com forward slash hauntedhistorychronicles to become a patron today. But wait, I'm not quite done yet. If you're looking to show off your love for the Haunted History Chronicles in other ways, check out our brand new shop. We've got mugs, stickers, clothing, bags and more, all featuring unique designs inspired by the podcast. So why not visit tpublic.com and the Haunted History Chronicles shop page to snag your spooky swag. Whether it's buying us a coffee, joining me on Patreon, or rocking some Haunted History Chronicles gear, your support keeps the paranormal flames alive. Every small contribution helps me to continue to bring you more guests and deep dive content. All the links to the podcast ko page, Patreon, And the shop will be in the podcast description notes. You can also find them on our social media pages. So if you're ready to take your Haunted History Chronicles experience to the next level, head on over, show some love, and let's keep those ghostly tales alive. Now, back to the supernatural stories. You won't want to miss what's coming up next. The thing that's endured, I think. I think it's the thing that connects us to our past, but also to all these other cultures, like you mentioned, all around the world. It's something very unifying, and like you said, oftentimes written off as something that's nonsensical, which is staggering when you consider some of the the scientific things that are coming out. You know, the advancements that are are being made in terms of possibilities and and theories, and and how I think it connects with some of, some of the paranormal, and I think this is, you know, some of your interest as well. This kind of intersection between things like paranormal phenomena, consciousness, and then quantum physics—it's it's fascinating. And I, and I don't know if you want to kind of elaborate on, on some of that connection and the importance that that has, because, like I said, there are such advancements that I think people aren't aware of and should be made aware of and there should be more of things like that
1: going on. When I was doing my my undergrad degree, I was always interested in the hard problem of consciousness, so what we're still essential, what most of us are still calling charmers as hard problem of consciousness. And it's that we understand the sort of smaller facets of consciousness, um, what it is and things that. Can be composed of it, or can be emergent properties of it, but we don't understand where consciousness comes from. You can't just, you know, Mary Shelley um, someone to life. You can't stitch body parts together and put electricity through it, and they won't ride. It doesn't make a person. And you can put voltage through a beating heart, but that won't make it alive. It will pump blood, yes, but it's not alive. And very much the same with the brain. So we. You know, all these, the consciousness is singular to a person only. It is the fundamental aspects of who they are. You know, if you look at the sort of ship of thesis experiment, uh, ship of thesis or anything like that, if I was to take bits off of a body right the way up into the brain or the head, essentially, you're still you. I and mean, even the head, you could take off the face, um, bits of the skull, the jaw, things like that. But fundamentally, the brain is what you want. You're a brain piloting a big meat suit. So we think, okay, well, this consciousness, you know, look, it must be located in the brain, but we don't know that for sure. Um, and there's lots and lots of different theories as to what consciousness is. And there's also a lot of fear because if we solve Chalmers's hard problem of consciousness, um, it means that it could potentially, once we understand it, the nature of it, we could potentially try to replicate it and things like that. And that's when we start getting all sorts of problems because people start mixing that with AI and you end up with, you know, the kind of singularity. And, be pro Asmodean nightmares. Um, so we're still sort of fighting that. And to me, I felt that consciousness may not, it may be something that's very, very small, or I've made of component particles that are very small. So, I'm like, it, rather than it being a single thing or a single, you know, biological area or mass, and um, it may actually be made of individual uh, particles or molecules, things like that. But may, when composed together or in a certain order give rise to consciousness and if that's the case then it would be governed by quantum physics not classical physics because classical physics govern large things um, and the quantum governs the very small and once i considered that i realized that if that was possible if that is true um, then it would explain a huge amount of things that, that we attribute to paranormality and, you know, things that seem like magic or seem impossible. Um, you know, we talk about things moving through walls or things passing through solid objects, and we know that that happens in the quantum. And um, the ghost particle, the quark, does that, it, um, you know, it, it doesn't just pass through walls, it passes through planets and um, things that appear in the paranormal stories are things apporting and disapporting, like in poltergeist cases, so an object appears and then suddenly disappears. We know that that happens in the quantum, that we know that there are particles that do that. And there's lots of other things and you know, and they're kind of similarities. So I considered that if consciousness is governed by quantum physics, then that may give a rise to an explanation um, for many um, paranormal aspects um it's a case of proving that there have been multiple experiments that have very promisingly shown over the years that we think um that the consciousness may be molecular or, or individual particles and um, and we also you know are increasingly proving larger theorems and things like quantum entanglement string theory things like that we've now proved and not only proven but we're doing it on an increasingly larger scale and um, and so that also accounts for some of that as well but I don't know if it's anything I'll ever solve in my lifetime, Um, but it's, yeah, it's certainly a collection of theories I started working on during my bachelor's degree and it was um, nicknamed Hollow's theorem. and um, it's one of those things that, you know, it's got three sort of core components and I think one is definitely proven another one is mostly proven that, you know it just needs more work the, the third one I just don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime but yeah that's the sort of work that's my working understanding of the paranormal is that
0: but it is it's so I mean it's so interesting when you think about things like phenomena like time slips for example it just it helps to make things like that seem much more possible if that makes sense and we see really strange things in nature don't we that that kind of help to show this. And and again, it just, it blows my mind that there are still people who, who aren't willing to kind of look at this as, as something to study and to really take seriously, incredibly, simply because of the reputation that it has. Because there are so many things that I think are still there to be debated and to be researched and to be explored really thoroughly. And I think this is kind of, for me, I think this is the kind of the real kind of next step and the the kind of the things that we would like to see going forward to really try and I don't know enhance to move thinking forward, I don't know, but it's certainly a really, really fascinating aspect of, of some of the research that's that's being done and things that are coming out at the moment, which is intriguing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um and I think yeah, I mean, you know, that is always the question, you know, why don't people want to look at this stuff? And there's a, there's a variety of explanations. And um, I think the most obvious one is that people are uncomfortable talking about it. Um, you know, they've definitely been brought up that you don't talk about this sort of stuff, you don't talk about these experiences because people will think you're, you're you're crazy or you're unhinged or you're unwell. And if that is the case, then you would be at risk of losing your job or losing your standing in the community. And, can have a huge impact um, on your, life and, your quality of life and the quality of life of your family and people around you. So people just shut up about it and they just they never talked about it but it's remarkable how many people approach us, um, especially older people, from boomer generation and, and even further, um, approach us and with, with a story and say you know I've never told anyone this and then tell us this incredible experience because they've had to kind of hold on to it their entire life and And I think that definitely trickles down, people don't want to be involved in it. Um, It's why I was kind of stunned when we made the Uncanny TV show, um, that it was made, you know, BBC Two, it was made by the Documentary Unit. BBC Two, BBC Four, BBC Two. Um, Documentary Unit, which is incredibly, uh, you know, very well respected um, and very quite strict, you know, red tape and checking boxes and fact checking and thorough, very thorough um aspects of the BBC productions and so that was incredible because that had never been done before. There was no way in the act of BBC Doc, you know, where, you know specialist documentary you know, were ever going to touch something to do with the paranormal and yet they made The Uncanny Show with us. So that's been really important, I think, in trying to um, work collectively, trying to bring credibility and science and questioning and reasoning and awareness to the To these, these experiences are so much more Widespread than anybody has any idea, and I mean, you know, there might be emails that like Danny and I and stuff all take all the time from people wanting to share stories, and that is barely the tip of the iceberg. But there's so many people out there who who will have had experiences who aren't familiar with the shows of the world, and then you've got people beyond that who have had experiences but have never told anybody. And um, it's just it's overwhelming. It's an absolute avalanche, and I just think all of these people can't be lying. There'll be a percentage, absolutely there'll be a percentage of people that are lying, especially as things begin to grow and, um, you know, Danny and Simon have implemented really thorough um, checks and balances, you know, to make sure uh, people, before anyone comes on the show and things like that, you know, they've had to do that over the years, it's a safety measure, and they're very, very thorough. But there will, of course, always be a percentage of people who are, who are after or trying to get attention or things like that on social media. Absolutely, there'll also be people who are just who just had an experience, but it's not paranormal, and they're confused in their brain, or um, their mind's playing tricks on them. And there'll probably be a percentage of people who've had some sort of unexplained experience, but it's not paranormal; it's something else in nature that might have been strange or unusual or rare. And um, there has to be a percentage of that that is true. Like to me, there's just no way that all of these people are lying or all of these people are confused. You know, it's not a hundred thousand cases of sleep paralysis. It's not hundred thousand cases of hypnagogia and it's certainly not a hundred thousand cases of infrasound considering the fact that infrasound has this sort to no empirical validity whatsoever and um, it's just there's just no way
0: I think something you touched upon is absolutely valid and right which is that I think uncanny has made it okay to talk about it the impact of that has not only to bring it to the awareness and the consciousness of people watching and consuming either via the podcast or the TV show but also the fact that it it seems to be trickling down in really tiny small ways into into shows that you wouldn't necessarily expect it to to come through in and I remember recently I was watching a a documentary program with Stephen Fry and he was looking at the migration of a, of a butterfly, the monarch butterfly, from this one particular region in Canada to this far more remote place that was ten, tens of thousands of miles away. And during the, the course of this, this migration, the, the butterfly itself that starts off is not the butterfly that arrives at the, the destination that it's traveling to. It's the next generation. And partway through this flight, the butterfly reproduces, they basically mate mid-flight, and it knows where it's going. And he was reflecting and talking in this this programme about how is that possible? How is it possible that when the previous generation has died off, this next generation seems to have this information? And it was just really fascinating to see some of this kind of conversation this topic about strange matters coming through in a nature program a documentary program about butterflies and and i think you see little things like that starting to creep through that makes it okay to talk about things that are a little bit unsure you know strange or unsure that people maybe wouldn't have talked about so much five years ago or ten years ago
1: yeah absolutely i think it's yeah all the stuff is really fascinating i think that we often don't consider the term of even like the word supernatural because we, we sort of use paranormal and supernatural interchangeably. But supernatural in particular, uh, or even even the use of the term preternatural, we forget that we're talking about aspects of nature. So you were mentioning about the butterflies there. Nature does the most incredibly bizarre stuff all the time. And people, they kind of have this separate notion in their head. They consider themselves, uh, they consider human beings and human consciousness to be an aspect of nature separate from itself, and it's simply not true. If all of that strange preternatural and supernaturality and strangeness is true of nature, then it has to be true of us, and it has to be true of our consciousness. We have this terrible separatist attitude in humans, you're thinking that we're not part of the system. And if you look at religions that do, i.e., paganism, that fundamentally believe all you are is part of the part of nature, or you were all one thing essentially together. It's all kind of homogenous. There's hardly any distinction. You know, we are the land. The land is us. Um, and look at it. All of those sort of belief systems have a much closer tie to things like you know rituals and paranormality and spiritualism and things like that. Um. And I think that's probably why, because we have, a, a, you know, perhaps a better understanding of the inherent strangeness of nature and that that inherent strangeness also applies to us.
0: Absolutely. I think there's something about us that somehow we feel we're a bit more superior to it all. And like you said, separate from it all. And and, uh, and I think that's a mistake. I think it's really important to look at nature, to look at things that happen, you know, that are part of these biorhythms or just like you said, this almost shared consciousness, consciousness and memory, and and connection with the land, and these things being symbiotic. I mean, again, it's it's part of this thing that I think has been the problem for hundreds of years. It's this constant pull from one side of the debate to the other, and uh, and I, it just diminishes, I think, sometimes from some of these very important conversations and and aspects of research that really do. And will continue, I think, to need further study.
1: And I think that you know we're kind of at danger of losing that because people, you know, academics have to obviously pitch things to universities to research and study and come up with testable hypotheses and um, design all of this, and it's you know just agonisingly endless and time-consuming. But the thing is that it all relies on funding and then people want to fund things and um, that have got you know sort of promised results the, you know they're obviously funding things like medicine and tech and whatnot but they're not really interested in funding the unknown because they, they, everything is about capitalism so academia sees it as a bad investment and um, potentially you know, someone says, Listen, there's this really strange thing that happens, and we want to test how it happens, or if it happens elsewhere, because we'd like to understand what it is. Nobody is about to pony up, you know, 500k for that, and um, they want, um, you know, strict results and things like that. So, we kind of are at risk of losing that really, um, interesting and sort of curious nature just of the unknown and of the strangeness. and of the kind of uh, inherently more fringe and sort of weirder bits of science, you know, and, and it is incredibly difficult to, to keep going. You know, people always say, "Well, why don't we, why don't we research that? Why don't we test it or examine it?" And money, capitalism—that's yeah. the answer. <laughs> that's why.
0: Just to come back to what you were saying, I think you're absolutely right. I think money plays such a big part of that, and what dominates science is where people want to put that funding for other reasons and this this whilst it's so important i think to the kind of the questions that we have as human beings it, it doesn't send a rocket to the moon and it doesn't you know it doesn't do all of these other mm-hmm. things that i think are where the fund the funding and the money comes into it
1: sadly yeah absolutely yeah absolutely.
0: honestly it's so fascinating to talk to you about the science and like i said i just think this is this is part of what i certainly hope are some of the developments to come within the field because it's so intriguing and you know when you when you look and you kind of dive into some of the research material in the papers and and you see some of these things being demonstrated by scientists i mean i remember vividly a few years ago that the experiment with the the flowers in water and it just blew my mind how the water remembered the flower i mean it's just There are so many things that I think are being done and shared, which are just fascinating. And like I said, I hope that's some of the development to come within the field because it's so interesting. And I think it will, will add so much to what is a ghost? What are some of these phenomena like time slips? And explaining possibly some of these things, hopefully in the future.
1: Yeah, hopefully. It's one of those things, you know, whether they can be solved in our lifetime. You um, even recently when we were doing our for television, we had an episode where we, we talked a little bit about time slips. Um, and um, even off the back of that, you know, one of the sort of most interesting cases or aspects of the case in it, and um, we had uh, a person who's reported experiencing quite an intense time slip, and um, we found someone else who'd been there at the same time through the show complete coincidence they'd also be there at the exact same time and were able to kind of corroborate the experience and things like that so which is just you know mind-blowing because it's easy to rule you know rule out one person as you know not being able to rely on their senses or having misheard something or didn't see what they thought they saw or maybe had some sort of neurological sort of freak incident and things like that and um, it's much harder to rule out when you have several people kind of all at the same time um, and so, you know, even outside of kind of lab work and research and things like that, um, I find that doing these shows, on camera in particular, is rewarding because we are just consistently trying to chip away at just how many people have had these experiences and making sure that we're being really thorough with interviewing people and cross-checking witnesses and there's a whole, danny of, you know, researchers and stuff who look at uh, lots of manpower who look through dates and, and records and national archives, housing, land, ecology, etymology, all of it. And uh, to just dig through all of this stuff to verify cases and be thorough. And I think that's good because um, it's maybe one of the few times in history where we've had the manpower and the interest and the funding um, to, the, to do that, essentially, um, which is incredible.
0: And again, to be able to show some of that, to show some of that level of attention to detail, I, I think is hugely rewarding for the field. And, and I think it just really lifts the lid in terms of being able to make people more aware of, of that and that side of it and just how rigorous, you know, the, the kind of the rigor that is involved and what is needed to really try and chip away at what's happening. And so, yeah, I think it, it brings it to the audience in a way that is very easy to to follow along makes it very um, much more accessible and easy to understand and you you have something that is very balanced and presented in a manner that means that people can really just observe and really come away thinking about what they perceive might be happening or not happening based on what they're being presented with and and I think that's I think it's fantastic and refreshing that that's being done to be honest as we've been talking about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's important not only for the field, but it's also important, I think, for other people because there's lots of people out there who have had experiences and don't want to come forward because they think they're going to get laughed at or it's going to be very sensationalist and they're going to have their life ruined. And honestly, when you sit down with these people, whether um, it's on television show, podcast, radio and things like that and speak to them. Um, You wouldn't believe how frightened some of these people are, not only that they might have the experience again, but also that they're worried that, you know, this is going to ruin their life, um, or should they even be talking about it, or they're just worried about how insane they're going to be perceived as and things like that. Um, And you can also see how much the experience has altered them. And lots of people, you know, like Danny always says, he, he's never had a paranormal experience. He sort of lives vicariously through other people and he's always wanted to have one. And I always think, you know, be careful what you wish for because a lot of these people are irrevocably altered by that experience. They are literally never the same again. Um, Kieran uh, told me a story when we were on tour at the time that, oh uh, God, where were we? Um, Oxford or Cambridge, I'm gonna say Oxford. And he was at, I think there's this big sort of prison stroke castle in Oxford. And um, Kieran was, was on a sort of ghost hunt thing there and there was this couple um, in the back and the, the, the husband in particular uh, did not want to be here, you know, just did not believe in any of it, thought it was all rubbish, He dragged along by his missus and um, basically they, they, they were also sort of going down sort of walking through the, the cells, the sort of jail area and when they you know, they, they'd walked past and seen someone in one of the cells, and thought, oh, you know, it's a sort of mannequin, just sort of an like Edinburgh dungeon style sort of thing, you so, know, yeah, prop. Like, well, and then they realised that it was an actual person, and it was just a person, like a man sitting in the cell. I imagine what was he doing? I imagine Keating said I think he was just facing the wall, like scratching into the wall or something. It was something awful. Um, and yeah, and then he wasn't there, so, you know, basically he vanished. And the guy had to be fit. The husbands had to be physically carried out of the place because he was absolutely catatonic, with fear. You know, he he thought all of this was rubbish. He didn't believe in it at all. And then he walked out and he saw a full person. Is really you and you or I in a in a cell locked up? You're scratching into the wall screaming or whatever he was doing. And then he just simply wasn't there and um, you know and there the was nobody down there um, you know security cameras or whatever it just wasn't there and both him and his wife saw it at the exact same time and it was just as real as a physical person yeah he, he was absolutely catatonic Kieran said he was c- completely like white K- Kieran said it was the first time we'd ever actually seen a human being go literally as white as a ghost um, and and uh, he was completely speaking gibberish he couldn't get word out you know a shock blanket on him and stuff so I always think, you know, be careful what you wish for.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and and I think that proves something that you were kind of referencing earlier, which is this challenge to the status quo. And for, for people who find this difficult to kind of grapple with, I think it is because they don't like to deviate from the path that they think to have that challenged or, or kind of subverted in any way. And I think when you have something that challenges challenges that when you experience something that you can't explain, it really can be truly, you know, life altering, because it has completely shifted your world, your thinking, and how you view things. And I think that's why it can have that very strong, lasting impact. If if you've had a moment like that, yeah, it's something that you don't forget. If it's if it's truly something that you can't explain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I it's, think uh, it's something that ever leaves you, but I think also worse than that, the reason people are so messed up by it is that um, it completely challenges their entire worldview. So sure, they have to challenge everything they think they know about um, life after death, um, about their religious beliefs or, or personal sort of belief systems, um, about previous stories that they've heard, just all of that—it um, literally challenges their entire worldview, essentially. And I think that is what—I don't think—I think that's one of the most incredibly insane things that could possibly happen to a person. And there's no way to be to go back after that. There, there will, from that point in your life, there will always be a before and an after, essentially.
0: Just to kind of bring things together, one of the questions that someone asked me to ask you is do you have any recommendations for you know really good paranormal research books or places to start engaging with the topic if they're interested in in kind of doing their own study or their own kind of um deep dive into some of these areas do you have any recommendations
1: that is a good question i'm actually sitting at my office just now it's actually a um so if you're interested in sort of understanding uh quantum physics and consciousness my recommendation, and I understand that can be an insanely daunting and complicated subject to get into. So, if your, you know, knowledge of physics is is fairly rudimentary, um, and you like walk through the concepts and also the concept of consciousness, and then also how they meet, so you know, a complete walkthrough for you know for relative beginners, I would recommend the book Quantum Enigma. Um, Physics encounters consciousness. It's by Bruce uh, Rosenblum and Fred Cutner. Um, it's published on Duckworth Overlook, and um, that would be my recommendation. That was—it's uh, one of my favourite books, um, and that's a very good jumping-off point. What I got see in terms of parapsychology, actual books. All of mine are very old. A couple of years ago now, um, I am sent a copy of this. This, this. this is a big book. It's not—the copy I have is not a hardback. It's about 500 pages. It is a big book. Um, it's called A Short History of Nearly Everything Paranormal. It's by Terja G. Simonson. Um, I don't know if I'm that correctly. It's T-E-R-G-E. It's T-E-R-J-E, is the first name Terja G. Simonson. Um and uh, that is published on Watkins. Um, it was actually the winner of the Parapsychological Society Book Award in 2019, but it is a huge comprehensive book everything from sort of like Psi, um, you know, uh, PSI rather, telepathy, you know, just a kind of unknown, uh, say so yeah, sort of PSI, you know, uh, precognition, things like that, mysticism, um, psychic pathfinders, uh, sort of general sort of mythology and things like that. You've also got Clairvoyance, Project Stargate, um, different sort of uh, mysticism, uh, mystic beliefs of the capabilities of the mind with religion, um, you've also got famous um, psychologists and scientists, um, you know, zombie theory, anthropology, spirits, modern myths, just loads of stuff, transpersonal psychology, um, also classical psychology as well. So you've got things like you know, psychoanalytical perspectives. But yeah, if you want a comprehensive book, I would say probably that one, a short history of nearly everything paranormal by Simonson is the surname. Um, would be my recommendation. And I would say, if your interest is in looking at a kind of complex you know, sort of more sort of comprehensive understanding of just sort of supernatural cases in general, like where where would I begin? Um, and a book that both Danny and I are fond of is the book *Supernatural* by Colin Wilson, um, which is also published on Watkins. And um, you know, we, we've discussed that multiple times. It's, it's a good sort of little bit of everything book it's very accessible and I think if you're looking at um, sort of general folklore and sort of legends and cryptids and creatures and things then I would recommend Breverton's Phantasmagoria which is by Terry M. Breverton and it's published on Quercus. Um, but yeah hopefully those are some jumping off points.
0: I Yeah I, I was going to say some of those are some of my favourite books so yeah I think they will be really good recommendations for people listening so thank you for kind of sharing some of those and and sharing your enthusiasm and knowledge and passion for for the subject to as part of the discussion today so thank you so much for your time
1: no worries Um thank you I'm Michelle i was always, always happy to chat to you
0: and i will make sure to put all of your details on the podcast description notes etc so they can find your website they can follow you on social media so they will know when your book comes out later on in the year and and all of those other things because you know you do an awful lot you you work so hard as we kind of mentioned at the, the start of the podcast you are doing an awful lot i think for the field and helping to bring some of that to all of us as the general public so yeah thank you so much for what you've, you've been doing really
1: i'm happy to do it so you know I'm a, it's never lost on me how, how privileged i am to to do the job that I do, Ray, there's very, very few of us and it's an incredibly difficult field to get into. And, um, you know, it's uh, literally the least boring job in the world. <laughs> it is incredibly hard work, um, but it is the literally the least boring job in the world. And that is absolutely never lost on me, um, how, how grateful and how lucky I am to be able to do it. And hopefully, um, you know, my insights on my conversations are at least... I guess interesting if nothing else or or useful to anyone in any way but yeah obviously people have questions I'm on social media and twitter and instagram and stuff and then I'm just to chat to people if they have any weird queries the weirder the better i will try
0: don't you just love it when someone puts out there though the weirder the better <laughs> yeah I <laughs> get know, a lot of weird cool, <laughs> I, I can imagine you get a lot of the weird questions but honestly oh, it's yeah. been it's been such a joy to talk to you and, and you, you have just such a wealth of, of knowledge and information. And yeah, I think I'm really looking forward to your book. I, I imagine it's going to be a really well you know put together, considered book with a, an awful lot of information and something very valuable to the collection of books that I've got. So I'm really looking forward to that one as um, I think most people will be, to be honest.
1: Well, here's hoping. <laughs> um, it's uh it's it's certainly um i had a meeting with my publishers the other day and i saw some they sent me some mock-ups of the the inside of the layout because we've got um a cartographer who's done maps for every entry and you know full color photographs and stuff it's it's a it's a good looking book if nothing else it's, it's a handsome book so um, hopefully uh, um you know when it comes out i'll be very proud of it and hopefully other people will enjoy it too
0: i can't wait honestly thank you so much for your time and uh i will say goodbye to everybody listening bye everyone